Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want us to, to pick up this morning on the journey that we have been on ever since Pastor Andreas ministered the word that he did on that call to repentance. I'm not going to take a lot of time to recap, but I think just some things are, are, are worth saying again because there's, there's something that God is saying to us. He says the same thing in different ways until we get it and we begin cooperating. There's a call, there's a desire from God for more of us, and I want us to just continue in the same vein. So let's just open our, our time now with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you are present here amongst us. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here and that you will enlighten our hearts and illuminate our minds as we come around and gather around your word, Lord Jesus. We want to thank you that you are the way and the truth and the life. And that as we come through and to you, Lord Jesus, you teach us and you bring us nearer to the Father. Holy Spirit, we want to commit our hearts and our time to you this morning and ask you to speak to us. Ask you to do that which only you can do, to come and set our hearts ablaze for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday was a special and a significant Sunday because it was, it was Easter Sunday. And we spoke about the cross. Remember, we had the cross up here front and center, and we spoke about what does the cross mean to you? Uh, we all have a slightly different take on that, and it's always really personal because God deals with all of us. There's not a blanket way that God deals with us, but He deals with each and every one of us in a very unique and a special way. That's why the cross is so special. It ministers to us each in an individual way. And the real message that we looked at last week is how the disciples were so completely sold out for Jesus that when he, even when He gave them an opportunity to walk away, He said some rough things. A lot of people left Him. A lot of people went their way, and He said to them, are you also going to leave? And their response was, Lord, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. All bridges were burned. Their lives and their pursuits from that moment onwards were all about Jesus. You know, you'd think some of them could have gone back to fishing. But their hearts had so completely left livelihood and everything else behind in pursuit of Jesus that they said, where else can we go? What else can we do? It was, it, that those things weren't even options anymore. And it, was, it just coined the phrase that the Lord gave me, that Jesus, because you died for me, I can live for you. See, it's only because he did that that we're able to be here this morning. It's only because he did that that we are even capable or able to pursue God in a real and a meaningful way with intimacy. Amen? And this comes after a few weeks, as I've said, Pastor Andreas's call to repentance. And really the, the heart crux, I'm not going to go into all the details of that again. The heart of that call to repentance was God saying to his church, us as a fellowship, me as a person, as an individual, and you as well as to his church in Cape Town, and just to his people, whoever it is that, that God calls his, and whoever calls on the name of God as their God, he says to them, you, you don't just go about your religious duties and just don't go about your things. You've, you've lost my heart. You haven't captured how I feel about the state of your heart, about the state of the church, about the state of your city, the crime and all these things. We can't just go on with business as usual. 
without capturing what, what it is that God is really saying. And that's a point of conviction because it, it makes us realize that, you know what, it's true. We've become so self-centered and self-focused. And that the only way out of that is to embrace the cross. And that's the first thing I spoke on the week after that. The only way for us to deal with self. You see, self cannot overcome self. Only the cross of Jesus can. We have to lay self down. It was interesting that after that, Pastor John Skoltz came and spoke to us, and his message was entitled, The Conclusion. And he said that after 40 however many years of, of ministry, that he's been in ministry, he says, times have been up and down. There have been good things and bad things. Mostly it's been rough. It's been a struggle. But when faced with, when he sees all that has happened, and faced even with his mortality and some of the things he's gone through over the past couple of years, there's one conclusion he has. It's all about Jesus. After all is said and done, after a life is lived, it's not about the stuff. It's not about the power or the ministry. ministry. It's not the prestige. It's not anything else, but it's about Jesus. I believe those who can catch that early are all the better blessed because they give themselves wholeheartedly to what is really important. Amen? Amen? Last week we spoke about, well, the week before last, we spoke about breaking up the fallow ground, using the analogy of the sower. And when our hearts are hard or have been laid fallow, when the Word of God hasn't had opportunity through prayer and through meditation to really begin breaking up that ground, our hearts are hard, and it's hard for the Word of God to get in there. And that's why we call the season of prayer and fasting, as we are currently in. A season of prayer and fasting where we give ourselves to breaking up the fallow ground. How do we do that? By fasting. By denying ourselves the very things that made the ground hard in the first place. Amen? What does fasting do? Is It starves us from the substitutes. It starves us from the things that bring us satisfaction and comfort so that we can, in that discomfort, find the true satisfaction and true comfort in the Lord Jesus Christ that we can in that place receive his heart. Amen? And as I said, the purpose of this whole season, and I want this to be in the forefront of your minds, because this needs to be in the forefront of our prayers. Corporately, individually, when you are praying, please pray for me and for Pastor Andreas and as leaders, that we would catch the heart of God. Be able to hear what it is that he is saying and to be able to cooperate with his spirit. There is nothing more precious than that. There is nothing more powerful than that. You see, folks, we, we need to acknowledge that there is something amiss or there is something wrong in our hearts when God needs to come and remind us that He is worth pursuing. Amen? You see, I, I mentioned this to you last week. I was ministering and I said, I was encouraging some people and I said to the youngsters, I said, surely I do not need to sit here and convince you that God is worth pursuing. And then I think and I realize how much time I've spent behind this pulpit trying to convince people that God is worth pursuing. And how many people all over the country and all over the world today are going to be behind pulpits trying to convince the people of God, the people who, who say that He is their life's purpose and pursuit, that He is worth pursuing. If this is the state of the church, if this is the state of our hearts, we've got something really wrong that somebody needs to actually stand up and tell us that our God and our Savior is worth pursuing. 
But the fact is that if we have forgotten, if we are not engaged actively in that pursuit, something is amiss. Our hearts have grown cold. Our hearts have grown hard. They've turned from the truth, from the fountain of living waters. I'm not talking about just acknowledging God. I'm not talking about just singing songs. I'm talking a life abandoned to a pursuit of God and His will and His ways. It's about a heart being conformed to His heart. And this is why God is calling us to a time of prayer, a call for prayer. That's why Sunday mornings we're starting our services at 9 o'clock now to come together and pray. And that is what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about praying, but not just prayer in general, not just different kinds of prayer. I want to talk to you this morning about praying in the Spirit. And I want you to turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians. Why is praying in the Spirit important? You can't catch somebody's heart without spending time with them. Amen? You know, my wife and I have the kind of relationship, she stands on the other side of the auditorium and she looks at me a certain way, I know exactly what she means. I know whether I'm in trouble, whether I've forgotten something, whether she's pleased. I know, just by a look. Why? Because I've been around those looks for a long time. I know what they mean. I know how to read them. If you want to get to know somebody, what does it take? Time. And I want to say, we have this cop-out these days when it comes to time with God or time with family or time with friends. You know, I don't have quantity time, but I have quality time. Hogwash. Both are important. Because you cannot always guarantee the quality of your time. But you can do something about the quantity of it. Amen? God... Our family needs quantity and not just quality time. But anyway, let's get into the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to chapter 2, and I want to, sh to read the scripture with you from verse 6. It says, this is Paul writing, he says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So let's pause for a moment. Paul is saying here that the things I'm telling you, they're not natural, and you're not going to hear these things everywhere else. In fact, if you, once you begin to understand how the kingdom of God works, you'll see it's generally the complete opposite of how the world, the world systems work. And so it often doesn't make sense. But what he's saying is that in this kingdom, there are incredible things that God has hidden for you. Not from you, for you. You see, when I hide... How many of you hid Easter eggs for your children last week? Many, many parents around this room hid eggs in a garden for children to go and find. Did you hide them from them, or did you hide them for them? You hid them for them, and you got out your cameras, and you videoed them finding them, because there was glee in the adventure. Do you understand? The, 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 the fun was not just the eggs. The fun was in finding them. 
And I want to tell you, God is the same. There are things that he has hidden for you and me, not from you and me, for you and me. I hid them from the dog for the children. (laughs) And it's the adventure of finding them which changes us and molds us and grows us and is the great adventure. Let's carry on from verse 10. It says, but God has revealed these things to us through, through, through His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us. The Bible says we have the map, we have the key, we have access completely. Everything has been given to us. But there's only one way to enter into it, to receive it, to understand it, comprehend it, and apply it. How is that? In the Spirit. In the Spirit. He goes on to say, These things we also speak not in words, which man's wisdom teaches, but what, which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So there is free access there. I want to read to you a portion of this again, verses 10 to 13, but I want to read it to you from the message because it says it really, really nicely. It says, The Spirit, not content to flit around the surface, dives to the depths of God and brings out what God planned all along. Whoever knows what you're thinking and planning except you yourself? It's the same with God, except that He not only knows what He's thinking, but he lets us in on it. That's the wonderful thing. God's desire is to let us in on it. God offers a full report of the gifts and life and salvation that he is giving us. We don't have to rely on the world's guesses or opinions. We didn't learn this by reading books or by going to school. We learned it from God who taught us person to person through Jesus, and we're passing it on to you in the same first-hand personal way. You see, there's, there's a life in the Spirit, an interaction in the Spirit that there is no substitute for. You can have sermon after sermon after sermon, counseling session after counseling session, read book after book, and still not have breakthrough of revelation. Why? Because revelation knowledge comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That hearing they're talking about is a hearing where the Spirit of God has breathed His Word upon our hearts. It's not a natural hearing. It's a revelation. You know, sometimes you can... I've had things in my life where Pastor Andreas has spoken to me and spoken to me and spoken to me and spoken to me, and then eventually he decided to shut up because he realized he wasn't getting anywhere. That's wisdom, by the way. And then a few months later, God speaks to me. Oh, change. And he said, smugly by, you know. (laughs) Obviously, he'd been praying. (laughs) And he's just happy for the change. (laughs) 
I think there was, there was a time, years and years, where he was talking to me, Michael, that's enough pudding. That's enough sweet. Eat your greens, Michael. How, how many years, Dad? Until God... Did it help? <laughs> no. <laughs> when God got hold of me, however, things changed in a dramatic way because I had a revelation from God that the way He was seeing me, the way my life patterns were working themselves out, and I was disgusted. I had to repent. I had to change, and God did an incredible thing in my life. You see, this is what I'm talking about, folks. When we begin to catch the heart of God from God directly through His Spirit... God changes us in ways that no man can. Amen? And this is what God is calling us to, that place of intimacy. Proverbs 20, 27 says, The spirit of the man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. You see, it's very interesting. There's a lamp. Psalm says it this way in 18, 28. It says, if you, For you will light my lamp, O Lord God, uh, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. I really like this. So the Bible says that there's a lamp, that the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. God comes and he lights it and illuminates all our darkness. Now, I am no scientist, I am no physicist, but if my understanding is correct, we cannot create, we cannot make fire. We can put elements, fire needs three things. It needs fuel, it needs oxygen, and it needs heat. I know that much. We can create fuel, we can bring fuel, we can bring oxygen, we can bring heat. We can do something to make a spark, but we cannot make fire. Have you ever thought of that? Fire is the product of multiple things. And when I think of the lamp of the heart, the, the, the lamp is our spirit. It is, it is the... It is the very element that, can, that God can set alight. But the fire is the Holy Spirit. We cannot create fire, but we can create in our hearts conditions that are conducive to fire. You see, we cannot make the Holy Spirit. We cannot force revelation knowledge. We, cannot even, we are even virtually powerless to change our hearts. The Bible says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and even that's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is as God gives it. But what can we do? What part can we play? We can create an environment in which that flame can catch a light, in which illumination can come. We need to provide the fuel. The fuel is prayer. Prayer is the fuel that revelation and the Holy Spirit rides upon. It is, prayer is that intimacy with God. It's that time in His presence. It's that attitude of thanksgiving. It's, it's, it's the expression where we not only lift up prayer and supplication and worship to Him, but we wait upon Him. Prayer is the fuel. We also need the right conditions, the heat. That is our peace, our quietness, our attitude before the Lord. Because how many of you know you can come to prayer with a bad attitude? And finally, we need to make sure there is oxygen. Oxygen is a broken and a contrite heart. The Bible says these the Lord will not despise. It is a willingness to be broken, a willingness to hear and embrace and receive the truth. When we don't have this condition in our heart, what happens? The light flickers. It doesn't burn brightly. We can't see. Sometimes it's gone out altogether. 
What does that mean? Does that mean we're not saved anymore? You know what? I don't know. I, I think if you really work that down, if, if that life's just never alive and you're not pursuing God in any way, you're, spending, you're living your life and you want to, you're going to have to question, are you really saved? But I think sometimes, even in our salvation, in our, even in our saved state, that light that brings illumination to our hearts, God's illumination, has gone out. How often I hear Christians say, you pray. Why? I can't hear from God. God doesn't speak to me. No, it's not that God doesn't speak to you. God is speaking to you all the time. The problem is your lamp. Your, your fire in your lamp has gone out. The Spirit of the Lord is there. He's wanting to, to pray in the Spirit and Spirit-led and Spirit-inspired prayers through you. But the condition of your heart, the lamp, it's not ready to receive a flame. Poverty of heart, folks, is a real thing. And if we're, not con con if we're not investing time in prayer, time waiting upon the Lord, our lamp will run low. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul writes and he says, you know, he's just come off this thing of, of talking about the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, put on the helmet of salvation, gird your loins with, and your feet, and get your sword of your spirit and the shield of faith, and, and, and he's talking about all these things, and he carries on saying, praying always, always means nonstop, having a continual attitude of prayer with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. In the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. There's a prayer and a kind of prayer that Paul is talking about here that is not something you will find in a prayer book. It's not something that you will find... In, in reciting something out of your heart and mind. He's talking about a prayer that comes out of the very depths of your heart, that is inspired and birthed and sustained by the very Spirit of God. He's saying pray continually. Prayers born of the Spirit, born of, of the moving and the unction of the Holy Spirit within you as you wait upon Him and are sensitive to His guiding and to His leading. These are not just natural prayers that you can pray while you're driving. Or these are prayers where you set yourself aside and you pray in the Spirit. Now, praying in the Spirit here is not simply praying in other tongues, although it includes it. It includes praying in other tongues, but it's not exclusively praying in other tongues. I can pray Spirit-led prayers in my understanding. Amen? But there's something there where that he's talking about where you have captured the heart of God or perhaps a better way of saying it, where the heart of God has captured your heart. And you begin praying something that is so deep and so raw and so real that you are completely engaged in it, emotionally, physically, spiritually engaged in a kind of prayer that moves our hearts and moves the heart of heaven. You can't pray in the Spirit if there is no oil in your lamp. You can't pray in the Spirit if there's nothing burning within you. It's not something you can muster. You see, this is not about hype. This is not about praying louder or shouting louder. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that flame in the lamp within us that God is wanting to cause to burn harder and brighter. A flame, heaven-lit that inspires us to see and to pray things that are way beyond our immediate circumstances. How do we get there? Well, Romans tells us in verse, chapter 8, verse 26, 
The Spirit helps us in our weakness, folks. How do I pray these prayers? I don't know how to pray these prayers. How do I catch the heart of God? He says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But, hallelujah for that but, the Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now here he is talking about praying in the Holy Spirit, being open to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Folks, if you don't know how to pray in the Spirit, the best place to begin is to pray in other tongues. Spend time praying in other tongues. The Bible, Paul writes in it, he says, you know, in a corporate setting, praying in other tongues is no good unless there's interpretation. But alone, he says, praying in other tongues edifies me. He says, I pray in tongues more than you all. Pray that when you pray in a tongue, that God may give you the interpretation. But, I will, but he also says this, he says, when I pray in an, in an unknown tongue, my mind is unfruitful, but my spirit prays. And anybody who is, has embraced the gift of praying in other tongues, praying in the Holy Spirit, will, will tell you that sometimes you start off and your mind is wandering all over the place. What we're having for supper and where we're going in this and this person and that thing at work and this. And it's very hard to quieten your mind down. In my, my experience, I just sit and I pray in the Spirit for however long it takes. Sometimes it's short. Sometimes it's 10, 5, 15 minutes. Other times it takes a bit longer. But if you devote yourself to that, your spirit man is being productive and it is connecting with and the Holy Spirit is beginning to pray God-inspired prayers through you already. And after a little while, you will find that suddenly your, your mind becomes peaceful. Your mind begins to line up with your spirit. And that bubbling, that it begins to overflow. And you begin to pray things that you know. They're moving. They're coming from deep within you. And God begins to speak. And you begin praying things. Suddenly you find yourself praying for whoever. And praying specific things. Where does that come from? The Spirit of God is moving you. The Spirit of God is inspiring you and you are praying Spirit-led prayers. He who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit and He makes intercession for us according to the will of God. You know, there's an account in the Bible where Jesus goes in and the, you know the little title they're given to it is Jesus cleanses the temple. So today when Jesus goes to the temple and he sees money traded, they're trading there. And, and if you understand the context of it, you know, if you were outside the city gates, people were selling pigeons and, and doves and all the things that they needed to make offerings and thanks, giving offerings. They were selling them at a certain price. But when he got to the temple, there were people selling them there. And it was like 70 times the price. It's like going to the restaurant in your local suburb versus heading to the waterfront. It's extortion. <laughs> and that's what the people were doing there. And we often think that Jesus came into the setting and he was upset by what they were doing and he started turning over the tables and he whipped them and he really got pretty angry. And he really made a, a comment there. Uh, he really made a, quite a scene. And you know, I think one of the commentaries I was reading this, this week, you know, the guy said, we don't know that that event of Jesus changed anything. We don't know that tomorrow they weren't doing exactly the same thing. We don't know that maybe a week later it is carrying on business as usual. We don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus made a statement. And he expressed a heart 
and he expressed an attitude of God. And I think it's really interesting to, to, to actually pay attention to what it is that Jesus said and not assume we understand exactly what his problem was. When Jesus had cast them out and turned over the tables, he said to them, Matthew 12, uh, 21, 13, my, high, my house shall be called a house of prayer. A house of prayer for all nations. In other words, not a place where you pray for all nations, but a house of prayer that is open for all nations to come to. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus was clearly not happy with what was going on. And I suppose what you could, what you could link it to or compare it to is just this was the religious spirit. People needed the stuff. We're going to make profit off it. They were just going about their daily business. Was it, ex was it actually what was going on that really upset Jesus so, that upset Jesus so much? Or was it perhaps that which wasn't going on that grieved his heart the most? Have you ever thought of that? Perhaps it wasn't precisely what was going on that grieved Jesus' heart. It was the fact that was supposed, what was supposed to be going on wasn't. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And as I looked at this and I read this, I thought to myself, it was as though the Lord was asking me, what have you made my house? I'm not talking about this physical building. I'm talking about you and me. The Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the house of the Holy Spirit. So if I am the house of the Holy Spirit, God, I am to be called a house of prayer. What have I made my life? Have I made my life a, a, a life of prayer? Siobhan and I were talking this week and we were just thrashing some ideas around and we were praying together and Pastor Andreas' name came up. And, and how often have you had a phone call or he's had a dream or he, there's a word for someone? I know Pastor Andreas to be a man of prayer. There is a temple, temple of God, and we know the, the flame is burning in there. Why? Because there's, there's constantly things coming out from the heart of God. Amen? And this is not to glorify a man, but this is to say there is an example of what it looks like when the temple of God is a house of prayer. Many of us pray from time to time, but is the temple a house of prayer first and foremost? Or is it a house that seeks after all other things? Is this a temple of career? Is this a temple of family, which if it comes before God is, is, is an abomination? Is this a temple of pleasure? Or is this a temple of prayer? If God is residing in me, if Jesus is there, if Jesus was to walk into my heart today, are there tables he would have to turn out? Is there a whip he would have to crack? Or will he find home and honor in a heart that lives to welcome him in the very presence of God? Here's why the lamp analogy is so important, folks. I want to just share some, some a thought and, and just a train of thought that God gave me yesterday. In the Old Covenant, the priests used to have, there were, there were three main responsibilities that the priests had. Every morning and every evening, they had to light incense. Every morning and evening, they had to offer sacrifices. And every night, they had to light a lamp. 
so that every, at night time there was a lamp burning in the temple. And they had to stay awake to make sure that that lamp never went out. If you understand the culture at, at the time, you, you understand that they were not living in a time where street lights were a, a thing, you know. They were living in, <laughs> sometimes in tents and, and together, sometimes in a city, but the only light you ever got was from lamps or from lanterns. And the principle was this, that if somebody was traveling into Jerusalem and all the household lights were out, at least the light in the temple would be on and they'd be able to find their way home. The culture at the time was that if somebody was out in the field and it had gotten dark and they hadn't come home yet, they would leave a lamp on in the house so that that person could see the light and be drawn to the light and that they could come home. The light always represented a way home. And you and I, as the temple of God, we are living in a dark and a lost world. And there is a light that God is wanting to light inside every one of our hearts that it can burn brightly so that you and I are able to shine the light to lead others to their home in the Father's heart. Isn't that incredible? That's why Jesus says, you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. No, you light a lamp and you put it on a light stand, lampstand. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And now you understand why. Because the light's in that place. The light of the temple draws others. Are our lights burning so brightly that people are actually being drawn to us? Actually, not to us, to the love of the Father that is within us? If we are not spending time in prayer, and this is what God is talking to us about. We are never going to catch the heart of God. And what is the heart of God, people? It's not just some specific instruction. It's not just, Michael, you have to do this. It is the heart attitude of love. It is a heart, as Jesus so often, it is so often articulated about Jesus, that it is a heart that is moved with compassion. It is a heart that cannot look at the suffering and the things that are going on around it and, and remain indifferent. It is a heart that is open and tender to people, tender to the leading of the Spirit of God, that that love may come through us. You've heard it said many times, you are the only Jesus some people are ever going to see. And God is wanting to light our lamps. And if our lamps are burning, God is wanting to replenish the oil. That we may burn, and pull the wick out just a little bit more, that we may burn harder, that we may burn brighter. The Bible says there's, there's, a, there's a scripture which says, I think it's Isaiah 60, 40, arise, shine, 60. Arise, shine, and the, for the glory of the Lord has risen among you. But listen what it goes on to say. Listen, listen. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Who is that glory? It is Jesus, the King of glory. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and His glory will be seen upon 
you. Do you remember we spoke a few weeks about being mobile ox of the covenant, that wherever you go, you carry the blessing and the presence of God. And in the same way that when Uzzah got in touch with the presence of God, it was so powerful that he died, people will come in touch with the presence of God within you, and things will break off them. People will be touched and changed forever because of the life and the power of God that is on you. And then it says this, Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. When that lamp burns, folks, it becomes attractive. It draws people, not to you, but like I said, to their home in the Father heart of God. Psalm 18, 28 again. For you will light my lamp the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. And this is the prayer we're going to pray in just a moment. Lord, that you would light our lamps, that you will enlighten our darkness, our ignorance, our apathy. You know, folks, there's a scripture. It's actually quoted twice in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, 10 and 11, and Proverbs 24, 33 to 34. It says this, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, so your poverty shall come like a prowler and your need like an, unarmed, like an armed man. You know, I want to say to you, many of us are weary from our slumber. You know, when you wake up in the afternoon after an afternoon nap and you're groggy, I think many of us are spiritually in that state. And then things happen and we don't have the strength to deal with them. I don't know what to do in this situation. Or temptation comes and we have no strength to face it. Why? Because we've been asleep spiritually. Sleep in the scripture represents prayer, prayerlessness. God is calling us to prayer. So we are going to pray and then I want, to, I want to share something else with you. But would you first stand with me? Because we need to pray this prayer this morning. And we need to come as a people before the Lord and ask Him to come and light our lamps afresh. Father, we want to thank you Lord Jesus, that you abide inside every one of our hearts. We want to thank you, Lord God, that our spirits can be your lamp and that you have chosen it to be so, that you have chosen in your sovereignty and in your love to make your dwelling place the spirit of man. Where every other religion or faith is trying to reach you, Lord God, you came down to us and you have made us your abode. And God, I want to pray this morning. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you today for your presence abiding within me. Where I have been lacking in prayer, where my heart has been asleep, I pray that by your Spirit, you will light my lamp this morning. That you will enlighten my darkness. That you would set a fire within my soul. Born of your spirit. Fanned by your love. That will change me forever. I ask you, Lord, to do what only you can do. To set my heart on fire. Give me the grace I need to seek your face. 
May, would you become more important to me than any other thing? I commit before you this morning and amongst all these witnesses here that I will give myself to prayer, to fasting, and to seeking your face until Christ is formed in me. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.